morning. Uh, my name is Bob Burris. I work for Training Leaders International, which means I go to mostly Africa for about three months out of the year training uh, pastors and church leaders in how to understand the Bible and helping them in their preaching. Uh, I'm also on the missions committee here. My wife and I have been coming now for about five years, and we um, also work at the welcome table. Um, that's my wife there by herself this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. That's going to be home base for us, but we're going elsewhere. I'm leaving in about three weeks, and Jesus is going with me to Sierra Leone on a real mission trip. Um, I just got back from South Africa, and it's hard for me to say it was a real mission trip. I mean, it was a real mission trip, but it was pretty nice, actually, um, as far as hotels and food. Uh, Sierra Leone's not like that. We're bringing our own food, and I just thought Jesus needed to go on a real mission trip where he suffers for Jesus, <laughs> which he is going to be doing. So good job. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great, a great time together. I am speaking on retirement this morning, and unfortunately, I did a word search, and there's no, word, there's no verses in the Bible about retirement. So I, I think I've entitled the sermon this morning, You Are Not Dead Yet. Uh, it's not up there, but that's okay. I did find in our grandkid book collection, um, this, I don't know if you can see it or not, it's, it's a dinosaur, and the book is entitled, All My Friends Are Dead. So I just thought I'd read a little bit of this to you. All my friends are dead. Maybe if I get closer. And there's a dodo bird, and he says, all my friends are dead too. And then there's an old man, and he says, most of my friends are dead. And then the next page says, what? And the next page says, now all my friends are dead. Some of you will get to that place. I mean, we're all going to die. We, some, sometimes I think we pretend like we're not going to, and we're not going to get old and pathetic and gross. If I live long enough and I, I die that way, that's what I will look like. This body is dying. When we got saved, we're half saved. Our, we got an eternal soul fit for heaven, but we didn't get bodies yet. When we die, um, we get bodies fit for heaven. It's going to be wonderful. So actually, I tell my students in Africa, the, the second best day of your life is the day you die. Your first best day is when you receive Christ, when you see his beauty and you receive his forgiveness, and, he, and you've been raised with him, and your life is no longer your, your own. It belongs to him. Um, but then the next best day is the day you die. It's a glorious day. I, I don't know why as Christians sometimes we treat it like it's the end of the world. In some ways, it is in the, the end of the world, in the beginning of heaven. It's going to be wonderful. So don't, don't, don't cry for me when I die. I mean, I'll be happy. I will not want to come back. Um, I chose Acts chapter 20 because these are, you might say, the last words of the Apostle Paul. He has gone through missionary journeys, and now... He's going from Ephesus to Jerusalem, and it's not going to work out well for him in Jerusalem, and he already knows that, and he's still going to go. But he gathers the Ephesian elders to him, and he talks with them, 
And he says, you're, I'm not going to see your face anymore. So you might say these are the last words and testament of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. And we should take notice when someone says these are going to be my last words. Or they're in the hospital and they say their last words and then, then they die. Um, we have the last words of Moses. We have the last words of Jesus. I think those are very profound, his words on the cross. What a great way to prepare for dying by using the words of Jesus as, as a guide. We have uh, the last words of King David in 2 Samuel 23, some of my favorite texts. And you might say these are the last words of Paul. So we're going to use these as we talk about retirement, which doesn't exist in the Bible. And I have a feeling some of you thought I was going to say that. There is no such thing as the American dream in the Bible. And what I mean by the American dream is you work hard all your life so that you can reach a place where you can stop working and you can go on cruises and play golf and do all these fun things and you have a bucket list. And, you know, life really begins then when you don't have to, to work any longer and you deserve this massive break. So I understand this morning I'm going to offend some people. So I, I really, um, some of you I do want to offend. You need offending but some of us need comfort also. I want to give you comfort in knowing some things. And so maybe the best thing to do, I don't know, you get these things. If you haven't gotten these, you'll get them soon. I started getting them around age 50. They invite you to um, a wonderful lunch or dinner at some fasty, fancy restaurant. They're going to talk to you about retirement and how to invest your funds. How many of you have gotten those? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've, I just throw them away. I've never... Never done any of that. Um, so maybe just think that you're at one of those lunches and you're having prime rib and you're all happy. And, and so we're going we're gonna to give you what I'm going to call best retirement practices. Your seven best retirement planning practices. Now some of you are a long ways off from retirement, but you can use these principles today. These are good for people who are about to retire. These are, these are good for junior hires. If you're in junior high, you need to be thinking about these things, or high school. You need to be planning your future. You need to be planning your life. Just don't let life happen. Just don't let retirement happen. Plan for it. Think about it. Because we live in a culture that is, that is massively anti-God and anti-Bible. It's the entertainment industry. It's the Barbie movie, it's the Oppenheimer movie, you name the movie. It's the news media. The new, Fox News does not swim in the culture of biblical principles for living. Fox News, NBC, ABC, Sky News. Anyone a Sky News person? It's Australia. It's pretty good, actually. Al Jazeera, the BBC, all these news, they, they don't swim in these principles. They swim in the culture of me, 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 me and my feelings, and self-fulfillment, and this is, this is um, not biblical. So before we begin, let's pray. Our Father, we need your help. We swim in a culture of, of self, and we need to swim in the worldview of the Bible, your worldview. So we ask your help. Teach us, help us. Um, not to think of all the reasons why these things cannot be true for us, but help us uh, 
by the help of your Holy Spirit to think the way you think and the way you have revealed to us in the word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So keep your finger there in Acts chapter 20 because to understand Acts chapter 20, we need to first begin with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, I'm reading from the um, English, stand, uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, it's the one in your pew. I'm sorry, I, I don't have the page number. Ephesians chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing, the same guy we're going to look at in Acts chapter 20. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you're a believer, you have every spiritual blessing. This is a massive verse. You could preach a whole series on this verse. Every spiritual blessing. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God knew you before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve were created, before the universe was created. He knew you and he chose you. That you should be holy and blameless before him. He chose you because he wanted you to be holy and blameless before him. That was his purpose in choosing you. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. So you become, you are brought into the family of God. You're, you're reconciled to God. You become a, a son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So God did these things according to the purpose of his will. He wanted certain things, and that's why he did this. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. That is God's ultimate purpose. That his glorious grace, as revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ on the cross, would cause the universe to glorify him and see him as the chief treasure and our highest love. God is in the business of magnifying himself. And when he saved you, when he, when he chose you in love, he chose you so that you would serve that purpose. That you would be to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the purpose for your life. Let's keep reading. That's the purpose for the universe with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, through his death, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So Paul does this. He just kind of goes phrase after phrase after phrase. But what, 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 he, what he's saying here is that he did all this for us according to his purpose as a plan for the fullness of time. You see verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So that the universe would see this unity of all things, heaven and earth, and all us who are called according to his purpose, and he would be glorified. Let's keep reading. In him we have 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. So notice all the things so far we have. We're adopted, been called according to his purpose. He chose us. He's given us every spiritual blessing. We've been redeemed and forgiven. He made known to us the mystery of his will. We have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. All things according to the counsel of his will. The war in Ukraine is according to the counsel of God's will to the praise of his glorious grace. And Steve Smeltzer from our church will tell us that refugees, millions coming from Ukraine into the surrounding countries have been, have been hearing the real gospel and scores of them have been converting. Sometimes we know God's plan, sometimes we don't know God's plan. Sometimes we look at what's happening and say, this is part of God's plan for the war in Ukraine. We don't know the rest of his plan. Yes, it's horrible. And no, we don't want them to kill each other. But we can rest in this, that we have a sovereign God who works all things after the counsel of his will. All things, all things, all things. The trouble in your life, your cancer, your broken bones, loss of job, joys, sorrows, everything according to the counsel of his will, everything. So that we, verse 12, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he works all things in our life according to the counsel of his will so that his glory will be praised and known throughout the whole world. You can read more about this in Ephesians chapter 3, around verse 10 later. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then as if he's saying to us, I want to make sure you know this, is to the praise of his glory, to the play, praise of his glorious grace. So principle number one, as you eat your prime rib, and I'm making my retirement principles, best practices for his glory. God is reconciling the world to himself through King Jesus, and he has revealed his plan and work from Genesis to Revelation. You should write that down. That's what history's about. That's what your Bible's about. That's what the world's about. You're not going to hear about this worldview from any of the news media. You're not going to hear about it in the universities or the schools unless you go to a, have a Christian teacher who understands this. But this is what the world is about. It is not about you. God does not exist for your comfort or your pleasure. You exist for his pleasure and his glory. Yes, he loves. He loves to pour out his grace on us, and he has. And there's no way you can live in Southern California and not believe that. But for his glory, that is what God is doing. He's reconciling the world to himself through King Jesus until everything becomes united. He's working on this reconciliation process where all those he has chosen from eternity past are brought to him. And his plan and his work have been revealed from Genesis to Revelation. If you don't understand this, you can't be retired well, you can't do high school well, or college, or marriage. You, you have to understand the big picture. 
Sometimes we think the big picture is just me. It's, it's, it's not us. The big picture is God is doing everything for his own glory. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It's just over the page. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see what it's saying? God saved you for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Number two, our second slide. Your life, his plan for your life, the works that he has prepared in eternity past for you to do, that is his plan for your life. And your plan fits as a subset of the bigger plan. See slide number one. Does everyone follow this? Unless you follow this, you're not going to be able to do life well. If you're a Christian, and I, I want to convince you to be a Christian this morning. And by the way, a lot of what I'm going to say is not going to be easy we're, because we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and his life in Acts chapter 20. But your plan is a subset of his plan. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That was Philippians 2, 12 and 13. God is at work in you for his good pleasure, to do his plan. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the Bible. Colossians chapter 3. I remember I was um, in college and I was reading my Bible a lot. And I would come across these verses. If then you've been raised up with Christ. This is Colossians 3.1. You don't have to turn there. You might just want to write it down. If you've been raised up with Christ, which means if you were a Christian, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So as I'm looking at most of you, possibly Christians... I'm looking at dead people. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You've been crucified with Christ, but you live. But it's not you, but it's Christ who lives in you, Galatians 2.20. He says this in Galatians. He says it in Colossians. He says it in Philippians. In Philippians 3, 7. I see most of you writing these verses down. That's excellent. You need to go back and look at these. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So if God has saved you, he saved you for a purpose, and his purpose is that you participate in his plan to bring his glory throughout all the earth. And Jesus said it many, 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 many times. If you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come in my glory. In other words, he's created us. This is the purpose of, of him saving us is that we would be proclaimers of his, the greatness of his glory everywhere we go. That's, our, that's your purpose in life. So those are the first two principles. 
I know some of you have stopped eating your prime rib, but keep eating, it'll be okay. Acts chapter 20. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, turn to Acts 20, but Second Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says the same thing. The love of Christ controls us. His love controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he who died, died for all, that they who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You are not to live for yourself. That's why you're saved. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're thinking about this Christianity, you're going to lose your life and the love of Christ, as you begin to understand it more and more, will take more and more control over you and you're going to live for someone else. That they who live should no longer live for themselves. So yes, if, if you're thinking, I'm going to retire and I've got this bucket list. I went to a men's breakfast once years ago and the guy who was speaking, he was a man's man, you know, this big, you know. And he, he, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. And if you're thinking of that as a bucket list item, I want you to consider stopping that. But his, his big thing to the men was, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and I did the manly thing. And you can do, you know, manly things too and... It had nothing to do about spreading the glory of God in Christ. It had everything to do with, you know, you have this bucket list. And, and I've, I've met Christians who have these bucket lists. Yeah, I, wanna, I, I met these two guys, and they wanted to climb all 30 14ers in Colorado. I think that's true. There's 30 peaks in Colorado that are 14,000 feet or higher. And that was their bucket list. And that's what they were thinking about. And that's what... You have died. Jesus said in, in Mark 8, he said, you're going to follow me? You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus, to all his disciples in all four Gospels, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's, that is my agenda for you, to become a fisher of men. Because when you're fishing for men, you're proclaiming the greatness of the grace of the glory of God in Christ everywhere you go. And that's what he's called you to do. All right, I told you I'd get to Acts. Now we're going to get there. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's afraid if he goes and stops at the Ephesus church, Ephesians church, he'll be there for too long and he'll get all involved in ministry. So he just calls the elders and he said, hey, meet me somewhere. So they meet. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is doing what he was called to do in Acts chapter 9. You know, Ananias meets with him and he talks about it in Acts 22. He says, Paul, I'm calling you to do this. 
This is my purpose for your life. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is moving me to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I'm not sure what's going to go on in Jerusalem, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, the New American Standard reads, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 24, isn't that a great life verse? I do not consider my life as any account as dear to myself, as precious to myself. I just want to finish the work God has given me. And when you die, you know your work is finished. Nobody's going to die unless God says work is finished. All right? So that's a, that's a cool thing too. Work is finished. Then you get to die. I finished my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this, the, the end of his message to them is verse 38. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Notice he is going from church to church to church. And he's going back to the church in Jerusalem. Principle number three, to carry out his plan for you, you will need training, support, and supplies. And that's why Christ Community Church exists. To train you, to speak the glories of the gospel of the grace of God, and to support. Thank you very much. The church supports me in a variety of ways. Financially, they encourage me. And supplies. So we come to church to be trained, to get excited, to love Christ more, and the real ministry happens as we go out. So you need to get connected to the church. And if you're visiting this morning, this is a fabulous church. There's other great churches in Orange County, but this one's the best. That's why we chose it. Probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway, we chose it because it was the best. Um, so you come to church, you do your Bible studies and Sunday school classes to train yourself, to get trained, to go out and do the work of the ministry. Uh, I'm a gym rat. I love to go to the gym. Can, had a great conversation with a young man just two or three days ago. Elijah Santos, first and middle name. Young guy. We just talked for an hour. Riding my bike. He's over here riding his bike. I'm smack-talking him. He's over here smack-talking me. We, we just had a great time. And I was, I was able to, to just tell him a little bit of the gospel. And, and he leaves, and he says, I'll see you again. I said, yeah. Gave him my name. But also, I go over and I lift some weights. I know it doesn't look like it, but I do. <laughs> so I, I lift weights, and sometimes there's guys at the gym. Have you, you seen them? They got biceps like this, whatever these muscles are. Deltoids, yes. And they, some of them even have legs with muscles. So, so I go up to these guys. I, I do this a lot. I probably shouldn't. But I go up to them and I say, what are those muscles for? 
I mean, what are you going to do with those muscles? Every once in a while, someone will say, well, I'm a high school wrestler, uh, or, you know, they, they give me different answers, but most of the time, the answer is, oh, I just like to have big muscles. I mean, why do we, why do, we do Bible studies? Why do we do small groups? Why do, we, why do we listen to preaching? I mean, we're getting strong, and we're being trained. We're getting supplied to go out and do the work of the ministry. That's why we're here. I mean, we're here for fellowship and comfort and all the other things. I'm, I don't want to say that that's not important. And especially when you get super old. I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at our church. They put out a bolo, you know, somebody's sick and they need meals, and boom, they have meals. It almost makes you want to be sick. But Because <laughs> I know what the ladies do. They find their fe- favorite recipe and they bring it over. It's wonderful to be sick. So... I, I don't want to say the church doesn't do these other things, but right at the base, for his glory, God is reconciling the world through King Jesus to himself for his glory. And our plan is to be part of that for his glory part. And so we come to church to be trained and equipped and get ready and go. And so if you're looking for a church, just serve, serve, serve. Number four, the Holy Spirit will direct you and help you cancel out the American dream. The American dream is the water in the aquarium that we swim in. It is. We just assume it. We just live that way. And the only way I know to cancel out and to reset, you know, to reboot the computer with a different operating system. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, you need Linux. You know, forget Microsoft. Forget whatever, forget iOS. You need a Linux system. I mean, it's lean and it's mean, right? All the computer guys love Linux. That's all I know about it. (laughs) So the only way I know of, and I think the Bible agrees with me, is that you have to open your Bible in repentance and prayer and do hard work with Jesus. You just have to open it and do hard work. There's, I don't think there's any other way to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? If you go Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, look, at, look at Romans chapter 8. Just keep your finger there in Acts. Romans chapter 8. I just turn there real quick. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That would be the entertainment industry, all the latest movies, Star Wars, Star Trek. Your, your mind is absorbed with those things. You know, the bachelorette, the bachelor. I think I've, you know, you're going through the channels. I, I think my wife and I can stand that for about five seconds and we become extremely embarrassed over the fact that they actually can put that on television and people actually watch it in America today. It's embarrassing. Set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, 
This is verse 6. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we have received, this is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's the book. This is freely given to us by God, and we have received the spirit so that we might know what God has given to us so that we will understand how to think like a Christian, how to act like a Christian, how to hope like a Christian, how to trust like a Christian, how to act like a Christian, and how to feel like a Christian. The Holy Spirit will direct you. Um, I tell my students, we're emotional cripples. We are. Our emotions fell at the fall. And so we feel wrongly all the time. But if you immerse yourself in the word of God, it will change the way you think, which will then change the way you feel. And we're feelings. This culture is a feelings-oriented culture. we got to get away from our feelings. Our feelings are death to us. If they're wrong, if they're right, they are life to us. Number five. Your life will become unstable, unpredictable, and filled with uncertainty. And at the same time, it will become exciting, magnificent, and worthwhile. If you jettison the American dream and accept the plan of God for your life and discover it as you read the word and as you pray and as you talk to wise people and as you get involved in church, and you, it's going to get unpredictable. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not, this is Acts 20, 22, not knowing what will happen to me there. That was the life of Paul, unpredictable. At the same time, magnificent and worthwhile and exciting. Abraham, Hebrews tells us that Abraham left and he went not knowing where he was going. We, we, we're a bunch of engineers. We have to know every little step and what's it's going to turn out and what happens here. And you, you, you have to jettison some of that. I'm not saying you don't have to be smart about your finances and about your future, but what I'm saying is if uncertainty is keeping you from ministry, you'll never do ministry. If uncertainty is keeping you from ministry, you'll never do ministry. Is Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good? Sometimes you just have to take the first step. That's what Elizabeth Elliot says. Just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. Take a step. Make a plan. Yes, it's, you, you may not know exactly. Let me tell you, COVID has wrecked us. We're a bunch of wimps. We're a bunch of, oh, no, this is going to happen. How can I do that? I might get sick. <sighs> Do you know what the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 14? He went to one city. They beat him so bad, they left him for dead. He gets up. God heals him. He goes to the other city, preaches the gospel there. And, and then he goes back to the city where they beat him and left him for dead. What is, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing? COVID has, I mean, COVID just, I believe, exacerbated what was already true about us. We're... We're health, wealth, prosperity-oriented people here in the United States. I mean, it's bad in Africa, and it's bad here. 
well, I, I remember we were going to take a mission trip to China. And uh, a bunch of people in the church got together. They wanted to have a meeting. There's about 20 of them. So we had this meeting. And their big thing was, I said, what's this about? And they said, well, what if someone gets hurt? I mean, China's a scary place. So I said to them, well, did we send American boys in World War II to fight in Europe? Well, yes. Did some of them die? Yeah, a lot of them died and hurt. Was the cause worth it? Yes. Is our cause a billion times more important? So if people get hurt, if bad things happen, I mean, one of the best things that could happen here at our church would be someone for the glory of God preaching the gospel somewhere, and as a result, they're killed. It would be wonderful for us. It's worth it. Is the gospel worth it? Is Jesus Christ worth it? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. This is Romans 8, 32. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? And later on in that same chapter, he says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? In fact, I never got this verse. Turn to Romans 8. I never got this verse until I'm embarrassed to say. I won't tell you. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You, if you belong to Christ, cannot be separated from his love. It cannot happen. And that should be your chief treasure. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3, I'm praying that you would know how much God loves you. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. Now that didn't make sense to me. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Wait a second. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor death, there it is again. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. So let's not let uncertainty and danger keep us from the 3.2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And the reason they haven't is because those are the hard places. Those are the places of danger and uncertainty. So let me tell you, if you want to have a great life, look what I put down. It'll be unstable, unpredictable, filled with uncertainty, and it'll become exciting, magnificent, and worthwhile. It's so much better than the typical American dream. Do you know Americans, oh, we got to go on. Number six, your life will be gloriously difficult, hard, and become exciting, magnificent, and worthwhile. It's going to be hard Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, count the cost. Listen, some of you aren't Christians, and I want to appeal to you to receive Christ as your Savior, but I want to let you know who you're going to receive. You're receiving a boss. You are going to lose your life, and he expects you to live for him. That's the call, the call to Christ. And, and you become a Christian because you see him and you love him. And whom you love, you sacrifice for. I do things for my grandkids I would never do for my kids. 
and you, you know what I'm talking about when you have grandkids. The, the one you love, you will do things for. I won't do those for your kids, but I'll do them for mine. The one you love. And so part of your chief duty is to fall in love. We're going to come back to six, but let's go on to seven. I think I'm supposed to be done in a minute. You will need to fall in love with Christ. You need to get up in the morning and you need to say, I need to feel. First, I need to think rightly about him, and then I need to feel. I need to love him. I need to love him because love is the motivation. It's the chief commandment, isn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First commandment, right? You need to fall in love. You need to make a plan. You need to think ahead. You need to take risks. And you need to get rid of all the buts. But what about, but, but, and I know there's a lot of big buts in this room. You, have, you just have to get rid of them. Make a plan. Ted and Lily Chan, they're, what, are they, what are they doing? They're retiring and they're going to go over to Japan and work. There's no retirement in the Christian life. You just keep going. Don't even think about retirement. Yes, you can think about, I can quit work because I made this, I got my house paid. I'm all for that. 401ks and mutual, go for it. Go for it. All, All it means when you stop working at a regular job is you can just keep working for the kingdom. I've got a friend at the gym, tall guy, 6'7", he's a basketball player, his wife divorced him. He's a Christian. He goes to church. At least he says he is. And he's going to retire. And he, he just, he's, he's bored. He's honest with me. He just says, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, go to your church. Go to the pastor. Say, I'll be a full-time maintenance guy for the church. I'll just work full-time here for free. What's wrong with that? Or I'll get a hold of a mission agency. There's plenty of places that need guys to come and fix things if, that's, if, 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 if you're skilled in doing that. Give your life for Christ. That's what he saved you for. The love of Christ controls us. You're crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So those are my seven lunchtime best practices for how to be retired. I've got more, but we need to pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks. We live in a very wonderful place. And I ask that you would transform us, renew our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit in your word to think differently about what this world is about, what our life is about, that there will be difficulties and troubles and trials and sufferings. But Father, we want to enjoy the fellowship of the sufferings that is ours when we suffer with Christ. So I ask that your spirit would work and change us, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.cccLH.org.